really enjoyed our conversation on Friday. Like seriously. Likewise. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. It was um a bit strange because I haven't really sort of connected with anyone on that level for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, I really appreciate it and I appreciate you kind of uh coming back today. Um, yeah, of course, man. It was it was enjoyable. And I uh the lot of the themes we discussed actually carried into kind of my own like internal monologue you know what what have you that everyone has throughout the whole weekend and um i actually i think i can't to if you want to jump into it real quick i uh i I was thinking about your initial question of like the meaning of art and stuff and like uh i think the best word to go off of that and i was like man i I wish i'd said friday was uh revealing i think Mm. i think that's i think that's kind of the best we can shoot for with art i think is revealing because um, truth can inherently be subjective because of the kind of multiplicity of the world we live in right now. But um, yeah, I just like that, like dawned on me yesterday and I was like revealing, that's kind of what I think I was trying to get at with Sam. And I think we we're kind of both arriving at. Right. But this is a interesting point, right? Because when we say revealing, mm-hmm. are we, are we talking about a, blank objective truth or are we talking about revealing i don't even know what else we, what else you'd reveal but the truth right i don't know but i think the truth is you know um it's kind of like what we were saying earlier and as like you know you get kernels of truth from certain things and those might lead you to an objective truth or some level of objective truth in some manner um But because, you know, the existence we live in is like kind of striated and, you know, there is multiplicity, truth can come from different things. So it's like, you know, like for me, if it's like a a kind of theological based truth, you know, you can get it in very unlikely circumstances, you know, for me, like from the opposite end of the spectrum or something. So it's like there's kernels of truth in a lot of things. So I think with art is you have an intent, you have a revealing experience, I think. And I, and I, I can't say that always arrives at a sort of empirical truth, but I think it can, it can point to a transcendent, a sacred, um, there can, it can point to that. But because I think, everyone's at different trajectories of truth, I think, and spiritual maturity, I think, you know, revealing, I think, is the closest that I think art can get to. It can, it it can allow, it can allow for that, but I don't know if it can actually achieve truth altogether. Yeah. Uh, Because I think, you know, it's, Something I found very fascinating was I, I, I saw, you know, about a, a few months back, some, uh, like, I think it was like a UK blogger guy was talking about, he was criticizing Brexit, but he was, and, and uh, he was criticizing it from, through like watching the films of Andre Tarkovsky and, uh, you know, providing hope in these very dark times, because, you know, with Trump getting elected or with Brexit, 
And, you know, politically, I would say, you know, Tarkovsky might be, Tarkovsky's themes might be very different than the themes that he's implying, but he's seeking hope through the media, through Tarkovsky's message of hope, because like, you can't compare the two. Tarkovsky was making works that questioned spiritual and faith-based matters in the primarily Bolshevik atheist USSR you know, much more left-wing than I think this, you know, leftist UK writers writing from. So their political spectrums are really different, but like at the same time, that individual, whether I may or may not disagree with them, probably disagree with them, like is writing from like a perspective that's, you know, inherently adding truth to their own narrative. And sometimes our narratives have to collapse at, cer- at certain points. And I think revealing can allow that at times. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. I think it's, uh, I don't want to get off on the wrong foot, but like no, maybe no, no, a potential ahead. point of disagreement. I've been- uh, you, can, you can disagree, I'm fine. Rather obsessed with um, Goya recently. Oh, yeah, love the horrors of war and the black paintings, Mm -hmm. right? Which are the ones that people always get drawn to. Black paintings? Yeah, yeah. And um, I I feel like they don't, they don't really, well, at least for me, they don't really Mm -hmm. reveal anything. They sort of have added to the uh, dismay and the confusion in a way. Mm -hmm. Because art Mm -hmm. can do that to us. Like if you hear a really discombobulating piece of music to go like to go completely 180 on us right now like I remember the mm-hmm. first time I heard uh Kanye West's Yeezus album <laughs> I yeah. was just I I couldn't understand and I hated it for that I hated it for that right right but getting back to the feeling sure. you know five or so years later it's it, it's grown on me and I really like it <laughs> well that's but that's sometimes the the kind of response we have towards something is like it's revulsion can like lead to illumination or uh a revealing you know and it can sometimes take time some of the some stuff that i've really liked the most and has like lasted the longest in my attention uh or has had a big impact on my life you know just works has been stuff that i found revolting at first and so i think there can sometimes be that we project often our own um, where we're at with our own like internal narratives onto a piece often, you know? So some people, they often see people who are like ideologically possessed sometimes will completely project everything political onto art always, but sometimes art is operating in a, a moral, a political sphere, but it's providing a sort of um, sort of a, feedback in that way so it's like this like when i was saying like this like left-wing like uk like blogger was like looking to tarkovsky and i was like in a lot of ways tarkovsky's work is more about traditionalism and the spirit and stuff which is not always occupied in the the spectrum of the progress oriented mindset which is more rational and um uh utilitarian so it's like i think we we sometimes we have stuff that disagrees with us like our own, but, it, but, it, and I think the revulsion can sometimes be from an allure from the, the, the experiencing two emotions at once, like allure, but 
but also disgust. Yeah. And so I think the kind of that bifurcating experience can be really abrasive to people at times. And then it can kind of grow on you. You know, it's stuff that like really, when I was a lot younger and I was still kind of getting used to certain uh, styles of music, you know, it, it, I remember feeling really like, okay, this is like the route I need to go down because what I was listening to previously is pushing me in this direction, but this is almost too much. But then I'll give it like six months to two years later. And it's like, I'm all in and I can't go back, you know, mm. something. And it's, and it's, and it's revealed a new spectrum of consciousness, thought, um, way of interfacing with the world uh, aesthetically. So I'm not trying to make a political comment. I'm trying to just like use like that someone can, an artist can be coming from one perspective and then someone who's their perspective on their life that kind of, especially because people are so politically obsessed right now is like, they project all of that onto that and they can still find kernels of truth in that. But at the same time, the art itself can disrupt that. And I think that's the revealing part is through the disruption at times, which can be both pleasant and negative, you know, euphoric and um, debilitating. Mm. Um, We kind of come back around on that is the point where I thought I disagreed in terms of, you know, revealing things. But I think ultimately, like even even the like utmost content and dis- disgust sort of tells you something about yourself, right? Sure. And what I find interesting is these things aren't universal. Like you, you mentioned, you know, interpreting films in a certain political lens or whatever, like that's exactly. not like the intention of the artist, but it is a result of the artist in what they do. Right. And it's, it's interesting because yeah. we kind of get into a weird kind of kind of relativism within in terms of like, well, okay, art is revealing, but it reveals, you know, autonomously of the artist and also independently of the artist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like the concept of like the egregore that's often used within occult practices. But I mean, you can even see that concept validated in iconography and the orthodox Christians where it's you know and I think Plato discussed this too is the arts have a very powerful effect upon society Mm. and I think Plato said like you know you should I I mean he was kind of a more of a state guy like you know control the arts a lot more because they they are kind of their own they're kind of like uh, entities in their own way you know like they, they have a sort of effect on people in this kind of autonomous way. And so it's like, what can be an intended purpose from the creator can all of a sudden it can kind of take on a life of its own with the way it's interpreted, you know, that relationship between its viewer and, um, and it. So, I mean, they do have a very, um, I think that that makes the artist way more responsible, which I think is something people don't talk about now. I think, you know, people don't discuss that, that aspect of like artistry that like, you know, a piece can kind of enter into the bloodstream of civilization and have different effects on it, you know, through the circulatory system of that. Hmm. Yeah. I, I suppose in a way they don't, but in some other ways they potentially do. Right. Because mm-hmm. 
you hear all this hubbub about you know certain figures like inciting certain groups right and you know a lot of the people who normally get blamed one prominent example being alex jones is mm. i i actually consider him more of a performance artist than i do a political figure 100 percent. yeah I, I mean he's hilarious and funny and like uh, yeah i mean i think i think my friend barrett avner on his contain podcast has pointed that out too it's like alex jones is a performance artist in a lot of ways mm. and like if you view his work through that lens then i think you start to see that like I think, you know, you, you have, I mean, in America, we have Puritanism. I mean, I think that's kind of what this country was founded upon is Puritanism. So it's like, I think that changes sides, you know, I, you know, Christian Puritanism versus now we have the kind of neoliberal Puritanism and, you know, that offense, like the, those kind of, the kind of sacred jester, you know, I've kind of heard this, this term tossed around uh, between kind of the online groups that I frequent and I'm friends with and like, you know, Kanye, you can kind of look at as a sacred jester as well. Like it's kind of like poking fun at stuff Mm. and it's kind of the, um, it's like the, the idiot with truth, you know, uh, the idiots by, or the idiot by Dostoevsky comes to mind too. It's like the kind of, the kind of like brilliance of like, just, um, and Bataille talks about this too. I mean, I think Bataille would probably fall, fall into this category as well of like the kind of, um, it's like a, it's like an expenditure without reserve and kind of like, you can see Alex Jones in that. Like there's this like extreme humor in it at the same time. Like while at the same time he is factually reporting on a lot of stuff, you know? And so I think I, you know, I think you can kind of see this lens of um, where the comedian stands and I'm not particular. I'm like, I can be funny with my friends. Like, I don't think I make particularly like, I don't think I've ever made anything particularly like humorous in terms of like my own like work mm-hmm. but like i can see like the comedian is kind of like that character like they kind of they kind of take on a certain amount of abuse from the audience and from society for saying kind of scandalous stuff you know or stuff that kind of offends you know that that's a revealing in itself you know alex like alex jones it's like it's like so funny and like powerful you know just like the like i i i like the, the clips and stuff or just like like listen to Infowars. like he like you know it, it, it's terrifying when he's right which is often but then it's also hilarious at the same time does that make sense yeah it's 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 a really great litmus test to bring him up because it does reveal possession quite often Mm-hmm. because i think that his his danger is greatly exaggerated in terms of oh yeah the dangers that profess to him i think he's dangerous in other ways and i don't say danger necessarily is a bad thing you know like, yeah totally but it is a good litmus test for someone in terms of like you know they'll hear the name and think you know like it's a sort of voldemort sort of character right Right. Well, I mean, look at like what happened with, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle recently, you know, for on Netflix where he, I I watched a little bit of it and it's like, you know, he, he kind of makes some like kind of skating remarks towards the LGBTQ community and stuff. Not skating. It's just like, it's like there's, it's, it's, you know, 
it's humorous. Like every, I think as he says it, it's, it's all funny until like, you're the, you're the end of the joke, you know, mm. like that's when it kind of starts to like offend people and stuff. And so I think a lot of that stuff gets blown out of proportion because I do think we we're in like, we're, we're at a moment culturally where I don't think there is freedom creatively. Um, I might get a lot of flack for saying that. I don't know. I don't really give a fuck anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, that, I think that's kind of the role a lot of the jester and the, and, and, you know, I'm, this isn't an original idea of mine. This is something I think a lot of people have talked about is just the, the person who kind of is like they they conduct like chaos in a lot of ways or they generate chaos and it's kind of this like sorcerer kind of way of like like making a joke about some a group you know it can be any group i'm not singling out specific groups but it can be about that and or they can point something out that is designed to offend but it's also it's designed to kind of like create laughter and like there's kind of it's kind of this moment of cutting through intellect and just like the kind of bodily like response occurs yeah and i think that's kind of like the you know i think you know kanye west and uh alex jones really vibrate on that that spectrum i think they understand how to like push push boundaries and still and kind of like break through the kind of like stern puritan intellectual kind of side hemisphere of our brains and like kind of induce laughter at the same time because it's like you know it's like kanye west it's like i I just heard he like rented out the the met the met in uh new york to watch uh um fist of the north star by himself and it's like i'm like that sounds tight like watching that alone in the met but it's also like the fact that he's doing that like insights humor because he's like shoveling out you know tons of money just to do this it's a gesture of like humor you can see that with trump with like the like the huge spread of mcdonald's and stuff there's these kind of like gestures of like expenditure that kind of go beyond like rational logic of like why would anyone spend that kind of money to do that and it's like or like go to this extreme but it's like there's humor in that there's like there's a landscape that's that's unknown that they're like kind of breaching in doing that and they're and they're entering into a dangerous zone by doing that because you know there's always going to be criticism there's going to be people offended but that's also when you get into that kind of you're getting into the deep end and that's when i kind of think things start to get a lot more more interesting yeah i think um we're coming back to like revealing here because you know performing or just being a trickster sort of person isn't so obviously a piece of art, right? But there mm-hmm. is this correlation because in terms of revealing, laughter is it, it true laughter, genuine laughter is an involuntary response. Yeah. And it, when you laugh, whether it's out of fear or, you know, genuine amusement, you know, mm-hmm. it's revealing something, right? It's, it's communicating yeah. something, it's telling something. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think I, one thing I love about these trickster characters and the, the Trump McDonald spread is such a mm-hmm. great example. So good. Because I think he's very, I think he, well, it would have been very aware of how, like, kind of corny it is. Yeah, totally. I think he knows how, I think he knows how corny he is. And oh, maybe, totally. 
I don't know if it's just a Brit thing, like me looking at him as a Brit, but we perceive him as incredibly corny, like incredibly like Americano. But I think that's kind of like his humor at the same time, because I mean, he has like a gold toilet and he used to hang out with like rappers in the 80s and early 90s. And I think like you can find some like songs where they're like kind of just like I want a ball like Trump and like it's in a golden sink. You know, it's like there's a certain like profane and sacred humor to that, you know, Mm -hmm. that um, that. and again, like none of these ideas are original on mine. Like I think, uh, you know, uh, Nina Power, are you familiar with her at all? She's no. pointed out some of that, like the sacred, the sacred trickster kind of jester character. Um, I took a course from her a while back. Um, yeah, I think she, wait, she, so she did, she did the Bataille course, right? Yeah, she did the Bataille course. Yeah. 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 I'm very, I'm, that's my, I think that's my next big, big reading. Um, but I, my, yeah, yeah yeah he's great yeah i'm a big fan uh yeah i really liked um tears of eros is really good mm-hmm. his like his book on um on uh his like secret group asafal asafale is really good there's right. like uh andre breton is in it a bunch of like the surrealists um is, yeah, is the, yeah. is the kind of mainstream book worth it? The I think it's called The Secret of the Eye, right? Is that worth it? Yeah, I think that's one of his, like, I haven't read that actually. It's like his erotic fiction, I think. Which, <laughs> which is what put me off for a while, actually. Because I was like, yeah, I, I just want to read it. I want to get some philosophy going on here. And I'm just... Yeah, I mean, you can see it kind of like as just a continuation of a lot of his, like, philosophy is like his his fiction. It's pretty similar. They're kind of, they kind of, they kind of feel like he's coming from the same, uh, place i think the biggest thing with bataille too that i really like is uh bataille talks about myth making and that's something that like i've really been interested in for probably like the last eight or nine years and i couldn't really put my finger on it why but i think like when there are certain artists that um the work leaves it's kind of like what we were saying on Friday, like the sacred is inherently veiled. Mm. And that's why I think it's sometimes difficult to say that there's truth in art. I think it's better to say revealing. Um, I think when myth, myth kind of goes past uh, art itself. And I think that's the part where you, where mystery comes in. I think that's when the really kind of magical stuff starts happening is around myth and um you know some artists like really objectified that you know i think you know uh genesis peorge from throbbing gristle and psychic tv or like um warhol even like a lot of those artists worked with persona around but it was kind of essentially around myth making you know it was kind of the work was like i'm i'm more about the work personally but like the work was kind of secondary for them in a lot of ways it was more about like the cultivation of persona and you know I, I think you know trump does that i think you know kanye west does that and you kind of have this sort of like it leaves you guessing and wondering you know and kind of that's where like the kind of fictional theory like kind of just things spring off from it you know i think that's kind of the other byproduct of work is the kind of effervescing 
kind of ether of myth, if mm. that makes sense. Like it, it's kind of this, it, it's this immaterial thing that springs forward from the work itself. And I think Bataille understood that really well with myth making, you know, especially with Asafal, where it was like engineered to kind of be mysterious. Like they meet and they're kind of doing something vaguely pagan rites. Like they were contemplating a human sacrifice and one person had even volunteered, but like no one could bring themselves to do it. And like, so he's, whether or not that happened, he's generating kind of myth, which I think is what drives Hollywood and drives a lot of, you know, the culture industry in general is myth. You know, that's kind of myth in a lot of like the cheaper version of that is like gossip, you know, like it creates the kind of subtle chaos or something that kind of is um, pooling out or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple times that you're sort of theologically minded. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself a religious person? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, even when I wasn't, I think I was. And uh, I think that's a big thing. Um, I mean, this is probably, this is probably one of the biggest like uh, pilling moments of my life was just realizing in my opinion, the human psyche is geared towards worship. And, and, and because I think the human psyche realizes that there is, that it's inferior in some capacity. And like, um, you know, I, it, uh, worship of career, worship of monetary gains, worship of public notoriety, um, I think these things, uh, are more toxic or a Boris kind of, um, uh, head spaces to be in. So I think for me, you know, like with, uh, I, um, I would say now, now we're just getting into more of the, the personal life territory, but that's okay. Um, you know, for me, I, uh, when I was living in Los Angeles, uh, you know, I've been, I moved out about a year and a half ago now. Um, there was a period of time where I lived in a haunted apartment for about two years and, um, it was pretty intense. Uh, it was next to a freeway. It was like wait, in wait, Chinatown. Wait, wait, wait. So <laughs> as much as I want to hear your answer, the original question, well, no, it's, we, need it's, it's, about, we need to talk about the haunted apartment. This is way more interesting. What? Oh, well, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. from the beginning. The yeah. Yeah. I had a friend. Um, yeah, basically LA is a really difficult city to live in because, um, it's expensive, but also like it's, it's economy. Just like you can never really get compared to like the Bay area or New York where I've lived most of my life. Like there's access to capital. You have to work a lot, but like there's access to like money a lot more LA. It's a lot more difficult. So it's kind of like, there's this certain desperation that kind of permeates Mm. throughout Los Angeles. I think Um, it's more of a gig economy. It's, it's very difficult to kind of, I I didn't get a full-time job there until I was there for like three years. And um, so, yeah, I was like in a situation where I needed to move out of my previous apartment and a room opened up in this apartment closer to downtown in Chinatown, which is one of the older neighborhoods in LA. 
And um, yeah, the guy like a week or two before I was moving in, the guy was like, yo, I got to tell you something like this apartment's haunted, like really haunted. And uh, it's concentrated a lot in your room uh, that you're moving into. And so I was like, oh, great. But at the time, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I had this like kind of identity amongst my friends. I think whether cultivated by me or kind of a little bit of both where it was like, Oh, I like, I'm like the weird guy or like weird stuff happens, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so I thought it was kind of humorous, but um, yeah, it got kind of dark for a while. Like, you know, like, um, you know, later on when I got a lot more theologically minded, you know, haunted apartments means more demonic presence. Mm. And um, there would just be times where I would kind of like have this wave of just like, really depressing dark dismal feelings coming over me um doors would slam for no reason uh apparently when before i moved in a table had flipped and um yeah like one night uh i think i had the or i don't think i had the presence of like something sitting on my chest when i was trying to fall asleep and it was really frightening and i heard it like scream across my room uh really frightening stuff i eventually had a roommate it was concentrated apparently downstairs in our um we had like this like a washing machine kind of room at the bottom of the unit it was like a condo kind of shaped it was a very old apartment but it was very like narrow and like three and a half stories Mm -hmm. so there was like this like below parking level like a room and wash and washing machine kind of like room and I had a roommate down there and I when I'd go down there I would just get this really really sinking feeling like really really uncomfortable terrifying feeling and uh every roommate I had to live down there kind of had something off with them and like uh, I eventually had one roommate relapse on heroin and OD and stuff and like I kind of felt like him living down there had a lot to do with that like he like it's hard to explain now because I don't I'm not trying to make this like a a therapy session or like a certain like a personal expose because I try to keep my personal life somewhat under wraps but like I think for me recognizing that like there's some level of like parallel world going on to our own and like I was kind of into a lot of that stuff you know like I would go to this theosophical society I think a theosophical or philosophical the Los Angeles theosophical society in um oh I can't even remember any neighborhood names anymore Los Feliz it was in Los Feliz and you know they would have like uh lectures on like Aldous and Julian Huxley and like kind of all those like druggy esoteric occultist kind of guys that have really really sketchy politics like when you really like read them you realize they're like huge eugenicists and like um you know kind of dark stuff so I think I was like all around that stuff and um I just like noticed over time this kind of I don't need to go too much into it like there's there's innumerable amounts of times like I saw stuff out of the corner of my eye which is kind of I think how these things operate is like they don't come into plain sight it's kind of you have a, a sensation of that and I think there's the materialist perspective where people are like oh it's chemicals in your brain firing off and like you know that's 
you know, hallucinatory stress, all this stuff, you know, like, and you can write them. It, it's a compelling argument, but like, for me, I just believe I was like, no, this is something that is inextricably autonomous from my mind that's going on. And, um, you know, I couldn't explain it to a lot of people. And I, cause like a lot of people around, like a lot of, a lot, like, I think a lot of people around me are more of the materialist mindset or occult mindset where it's just things are hidden. Like there's no kind of sense of like empirical arriving at of like what something is, you know, later on when I got more into Orthodox theology, it was kind of like, Oh no, that is the presence of demons usually. And this is what, this is the behavioral characteristics. And there's this whole outlining of these things in a very rational, empirical way. Hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, places like feed on energy and stuff. I've had that experience a couple of times in my life where I felt like I've walked into a place that has a certain amount of like, the other world is spilling out into this world. You know, I think David Lynch is a really good example of a artist and filmmaker who, who intrinsically understands that, you know, like I rewatched like fire walk with me recently. And it was like, yeah, you see the kind of the, the black lodge entities are constantly in the town of twin peaks. And they're like, they're kind of like puppet masters. They're moving stuff around and affecting things. And like, I truly believe that's that's the world we live in, actually. Um, and that's faith-based, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, around, that's kind of the haunted, that's the kind of quick and dirty of the haunted apartment. A lot, a lot of other kind of stuff happened. I lived there for two years, but it's more like when you're living in that kind of stuff, it's like, it's like a low vibrational depressing kind of thing. It's like, oh, I live in this like creepy apartment, you know, like, I remember one, the last night I lived there, I was like, I came home after playing a show uh, in downtown and it was like maybe like one in the morning and this girl was like in my living room and she was like, I was like, who are you? And she was like, I am a friend of this new roommate who's taking your room, but they're doing a seance downstairs and it's like, there's something really wrong with your apartment. She's like, I heard like footsteps outside the seance and I was like, I'm out of here. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm out of here. I went and like, I went and like crashed on my, the drummer uh, of the band I was playing at the time's apart, uh, couch. I was like, I, I hate this place. It's like, that's the thing. Like a lot of dark and dark and creepy stuff. It's alluring at first, but then it's like lived in. It's really low vibrational, boring. Cause it's, it's, it's inferior to like the, uh, the higher realm, you know, it's an inferior uh, uh, realm but it has a lot of, you know, sway in this realm. And that's kind of maybe more of my leaning towards the, the kind of the Christian narrative. Um, but yeah, you know, like around that time, just like I realized, you know, people worship, people just like worship stuff, you know, people worship their identity, what they're known for um, careers. I had plenty of them myself. I still do. I still struggle with that. It's like, you know, you know, being regarded as like intellectual or like, you know, artistically talented. Like there's just like things where it's like these things kind of keep us from, from in my personal experience, just like our, a substitute, you know, you know, when Nietzsche says like, we have the death of God, it's more, it's not like, I don't think Nietzsche is really proclaiming that in a sort of, you know, ha, look what we did. We're too smart for this now. It's more like, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, the marketplace is going to become a cathedral you know, like Eucharist is going to become like uh, 
hyper consumerism or something, you know, like it's, uh, you know, master and Mar- margarita talks about, you know, like, I guess like, you know, Moscow, like the intellectual scene there, I think this is pre Bolsheviks or no, wait, this is in the USSR. Cause I think Joseph Stalin was Satan technically in this. I think Mikhail Bulgakov based Satan on Stalin and, you know, the, it's really in vogue to be a modernist and be like very rational and very materialistic and like, oh, all pheno- like phenomena is like things, chemicals firing off in my brain. You know, I am the universe in my own brain, you know, and I kind of, I don't know. I just, I'm very reluctant of that. I'm a very superstitious person. Um, you know, my mom is, so maybe I just learned that, but you know. Again, someone can make an argument for that, but uh, theologically minded, yeah, that's kind of, I, I don't think I can interface with the world without that headspace. And I think like there's a certain ordering of, and I think the authentic Christian experience, which is from my experience, the Orthodox faith, uh, which is more metaphysical, um, honestly, a lot more like, op- it's very more like open and mysterious to me than like sects of Roman Catholicism or especially Protestantism. Um, and uh, yeah, I just like had a lot of stuff like valid, like the Orthodox, it has just like a very, it's very mystical, but also like can order things order like metaphysics and, and mysticism in a very like clear and rational way. Um, so yeah, that kind of informs, like, I mean, I think creatively everything I've always really liked has had a sort of like religious element to it, especially Christian element to it, even if it was like secular or heretical. But I think like, putting that together really ordered something in my mind in a huge way. Cause like, I couldn't justify like being an artist or a musician at past the age of like 27 or 26 you know because then after a while it's like what are you doing like are you just you're just kind of trying to create a persona like that's literally what it is after a while is like most artists and you know maybe this is a very condescending thing or judgmental thing to say but I think a lot of artists it's about creating a sort of elite character to society or like a kind of a dislike of society at times just, and like, I'm not saying that I'm trying not to be condescending. I just, I, I can say that cause that's like kind of like what I was thinking at times. And then like now a lot more, I think I see the role of like creative expression a lot more that humans are permitted to be world creator, like to create worlds within the microcosm of the kind of macrocosmic world that we exist in, because there can be revealing elements and revealing truths through that. And the kind of those, those, being transported to those other worlds can help you actually elicit a response that can be pulled into the actual world itself. And um, yeah, I just think for like, I can't, I can't convince someone, you know, like, Oh, I lived in a haunted apartment and that made me believe God is real. Like I, like, like that, I just, that kind of argument, it's like someone just be like, okay, like you're a lunatic, you know, it's, it's, it's just more like that's faith. That is my personal experience. And, you know, sorry if I'm going on a long tangent. Um, yeah, I, th- I think maybe yeah, it's really interesting to talk about kind of that sort of epistemological prejudice because mm-hmm. 
as someone who has definitely wrestled with the idea of faith but i think you know whose logic always brings them back to like you said Mm -hmm. that very ultra materialist thing when you say like you know the haunted apartment or whatever sort of makes me think like oh is this going to be an interesting conversation or are we going to start talking about star signs and all this sort of shit that i kind of oh fuck that shit no but you know what i mean right it's it it does kind of bring up that like prejudice in my mind like what 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 sort of conversation am i going to enter into here how much am i going to have to pretend to agree or whatever right but it's really interesting because i think that the sort of death of god and the gap that leaves and the gap that inevitably gets filled is almost in my experience and kind of just logically is almost like a universal law. Exactly. (laughs) And the tricky thing, I mean, I think Nietzsche said this in one of his letters to his sister, I think, where he was saying that if you want to live like in contentment, then have faith hundred percent. He wasn't even against faith necessarily. And he says, if you want to know, if you want to like go out and be, you know, Nietzschean, for example, you have mm-hmm. to like keep investigating. It's not, mm-hmm. it's never going to be a certainty. And this is, this is the thing I struggle with because, you know, as soon as I become skeptical, like you said, like whether it's, you know, money, career, markets, whatever, right. something comes in and fills that gap, like almost inevitably. Yeah. And what I've realized, and I, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this, is much like the materialist opinion of consciousness which is you know oh it's just an epiphenomenon or whatever right like just chemicals going off in your brain or whatever which is i think really funny because it breaks the materialist law of energy conversation uh like it it, like nothing could be an epiphenomenon in in energy like conversion it doesn't doesn't make any sense right yeah that's, that's by the by right but the other thing i noticed was that we are as much as i believe that metaphysics is opinion as much as religion is opinion sure yeah i think that despite that fact despite the fact that it is technically entirely subjective what your metaphysical outlook is you can you know you can believe anything you can believe that you know that unicorns are real as opposed to you know jesus christ was the son of god all this sort of stuff right right your metaphysical belief i believe has a downstream effect on the way you act. I agree. As someone who's written a lot about ethics, I think that's really quite important. And it's bizarre. And as a a selfish person, I I thought about this recently, and I don't know, I'd be interested to hear your thought on it. Because again, like I said, I've struggled with faith because I find it very (laughs) difficult in a sort of Nietzschean sense to say, no, this is my belief. This is the son of God, all that sort of stuff. Because, you know, I dig into these things, for example, with, with Christ, for example, and I, you know, find him to be, again, something I've written about quite a lot, which is I find him to be quite, he, he gaslights the disciples. He's, you know, he's extolling all these, all this meekness, despite the fact that he's, you know, play, placing himself on a pedestal, not an unjust pedestal if he's telling the truth, right? But, you know, what I'm saying, um, I find it very difficult to like pin, like to pin myself to one metaphysical belief. But I do think it's one of the most important things because, you know, it's before anything mm-hmm. and, it, and it has a downstream effect on the way we act. So again, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, but selfishly, my ideal world is yeah. me being the way I am and everyone else being Christian. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like. I really like Christians. I like the way they act. <laughs> Same sort of. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it's kind of like how I like being. I think I like being Christian and living in the Bay Area. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's not many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, the thing that also this is again, not one of my own original ideas, but it's, it is a a very good observation is like a lot of like continental philosophy or just philosophy in general, the moment starts talking about metaphysics or religion stuff, it kind of sinks into like a Gnostic or uh, I think it's perennialist. Yeah. Gnostic or perennialist notion. Like it's almost always like, that's what happens. It's kind of like, Oh, we're either like, Platonists where it's like spirit good matter bad and so like you have kind of like the techno gnosticism now of like oh we're gonna get uploaded onto like a hard drive man like a bit like they hate the body or something and like um you know Nietzsche's kind of that way a lot like from my reading of him is it's kind of this like elite thinking at times where it's like it's time to transcend and play amongst the stars and stuff. And I'm not saying Nietzsche is bad. Like I, I do like, I've read some works by Nietzsche and I've really taken a lot from them. But I think, I think what he does get at is like the fake piety of like Protestantism. I think that's like really what he was railing against. Mm. And Kierkegaard was similar and Kierkegaard who was a Christian as well. Like um, I think the danger sometimes of those is you're still falling victim to things that you're railing against at times. And so like the Gnostic belief is always this kind of elitist thinking of abandoning the flesh, which just seems like abandoning things that disgust you and, you know, rising to this God realm, you know, that's kind of like what a lot of that is, or it's like the perennialist stuff where it's like, there's truth in everything. And we were, and like, I think it's pantheism or I, my terminology really sucks. So people cannot quote me on this, but like, like worshiping nature, we don't know anything, mother earth, Gaia, Kali Yuga cycles and stuff. It's like those things really, you have no empirical truth, empirical truth with those, you know, it's like, cause it, when you relativize everything, it just creates chaos and nihilism. So there's actually no real functioning to that system on a very like practical scale. And it's like, you know, I have a lot of critiques of the Christian church. I would say, you know, I'm not the hugest fan of Protestantism in a big way. I have to see it as kind of a liberal globalist project yeah. in its own way that kind of like destroys beauty. I guess what uh, Roman Catholic. Land kind of said that follows on from what you were saying about Nietzsche. Yeah. Land kind of says that um, Protestantism is a, like a very distinct sect uh, of like, no, sorry, wokeism is a very distinct sect of Protestantism. Yeah, that's pr- total. I totally pull that influence from land. Like, it's like Protestantism is kind of this. And then, yeah, you, it's not surprising that like wokeism is like a, a new, a, a final arrival of the Protestant Reformation and yeah. such. You know, it's hyper Christianity. You know, I think Girard even noted that too. And, um, you know, Roman Catholicism, I mean, I even have kind of some 
issues with. But I think the more I've investigated the Orthodox, uh, it seems to me like that was the original model of Christianity. And, you know, you can kind of see that like a lot of Eastern religions kind of took from it in a lot of ways. Some of like the breathing techniques of like the hesychasm and like um, fast, like the, the, the importance of fasting and like, just like there's terminologies like pre-list, like false spiritual consciousness. And like, it's, it, it kind of disavows the woo woo spirituality that's very popular in new age and in a lot of Christianity. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely someone who takes issue with Christianity, even being someone who identifies with the narrative, you know, like it has like a sort of, you can see Protestantism as like a very liberal globalist enlightenment project, you know, which is something I'm not particularly like too keen on. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just think it's, you know, we worship, uh, humans are inherently worshiping based, uh, worship based creatures. People will worship their pro- their romantic partner. They'll worship the state. They'll worship a president or presidents. Uh, they'll worship narratives. And I think it's the, I think it's, 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 you're trying to fill an immaterial void with a material void. And I think it's just like trying to put like the wrong kind of gasoline in a car, you know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a false way of ordering one's uh, spirit and psyche in a lot of ways. And um, I just recognized for me after a while that like, I had this very crumbling ego that was like, falling apart internally but externally was very much like you know like well liked and played in bands and like you know but like internally just miserable you know and so it's like it's kind of like I was like I've worked so so hard to like attain these things why am I like unhappy you know am I just not grateful enough am I just like and I think a lot of it sometimes is just that reorienting the lens and you know I think just like, not to sound like a materialist, because I don't think we should do something always just because it benefits us. But like, my life just like improved, like 500%, you know, like, kind of just uh, low vibrational depression, just like kind of out the door, like, just bunch of just stuff. Like, I don't know, I think it's just like the kind of the like low hum of modernity, I think kind of leaves people feeling really kind of like something's missing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I'm not here to like preach. I, I I'm kind of more like interested in like, you know, like, cause like, yeah, like I pull from land or something. And there's a lot of, he has a lot of interesting insights that I think are actually pretty true. And um, about that theologically. So like, that's kind of where I, I come from with, uh, with that. And I don't know, it's just like hard for me to not see anything as like religious at this point in my life. Like when I, I, you know, I played in bands for 10 years and I would just, musicians, a lot of times they're creating a persona, you know, it's almost like a bishop or like a priestly kind of performance, you know, and, and I'm not against musical performances. Like I like playing music and stuff. I just, I just see like there is a certain like there's a similarity, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
there's like a really strong similarity to like religiosity and music at times or like performance and like what people, especially now where it's like, we're in this age of kind of like Belusian facialization of like human identity where like people can kind of more and more artificially craft their identity through social media and stuff. Like they, they can really kind of like keep a tally on their presence and stuff and how it's perceived and stuff. And like, in a lot of ways that's very divorced from actually like a person who's like a operating bodily entity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've gotten a lot of flack for it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think I can't tell if I have some friends who dislike me now or not because of it, but I think it just, I think a lot of the the stuff that Christ preaches, I think are designed to help people, you know, I th- and I think they're for everyone. I don't, I'm not, I'm not like going to be some like, evangelical like i i really don't like the way christianity's been weapons i mean you see in the early 2000s with the way bush weaponized kind of like evangelical culture of like you know like oh like the twin towers were blown up because because of gay people it's like that's like the most wicked shit you can say in my opinion you know like just like and you're like proclaiming this kind of christian narrative i'm just like you know can't get down with that and it's like the I don't know. I think, yeah, I think a lot, I think it's, I think the, the materialist project of trying to make life as easy as possible dilutes meaning. That's just my personal opinion. You know, uh, everything that's made my life meaningful has come with strife and like, you know, there's a little bit of terror that comes from that, you know, like, you know, and I think often I put art as a sort of religious narrative for me. So it's like I justified, you know, being 28 or 29 working in a warehouse with black mold, like, you know, 13 hour days, like, like I'm an artist, you know, I'm like doing the, I'm doing the work, you know, and my, this is my asceticism, you know, <laughs> I'm working like really hard jobs even though i'm kind of a pansy <laughs> and like yeah, yeah that's it's worthwhile if you're hungry right <laughs> yeah exactly i mean i just think yeah i just think you know and I, maybe i sound arrogant saying that you know like someone could say you're not suffering enough so you can like you know you can't say that but i think i think there is meaning to difficulty hmm. and i think that we can't quantify why but it is you know yeah, this is kind of why the, like the eschatology of a lot of the beliefs we have in the West right now is a bit strange because kind of like the the transhuman eschatology is to eradicate the things that are human. And then there's, you know, you yeah. have, um, I, think, I think it would be commonly called the luxury communism sort of crowd. Yeah, totally. Crowd, yeah. right? That they're kind of yeah, that crowd a lot. The opposite of what you're talking about, which is kind of like the um, obliteration of strife, like strife not being a thing. Yeah, exactly. I, this again, it sounds so counterintuitive, but I I really agree with you. Like, can you mm-hmm. imagine a world where there is no, there's no desire, there's no strife? Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's so bizarre to think about it because materially speaking, it's a paradise. Exactly. Materially speaking, it's a paradise. Mm-hmm. But 
I can't imagine any worse place to be. Yeah. Like not, not only will I be like, you know, so unfulfilled in a non-material way, but I'd be really bored. Yeah. It's extreme boredom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, Dostoevsky in Brothers Karamazov is, I mean, I think, I can't remember when Brothers Karamazov was written, but I think it's early 1900s. It's like, I think he's kind of warning the West about what's coming is the kind of the eradication of, of strife. And like, it's, you can't justify why it is, but it's, you, you said that better than I could. Like, um, that it would, something would be lost. And I think that's the, I think, I think sacrifice, this is the part where I really agree with Bataille a lot is I think just if anything that is meaningful requires sacrifice. Mm. And I think that is just the, that is kind of the way I live my life. And I think that's the way I view the Christian, in my opinion, Orthodox, uh, life is that anything meaningful comes with sacrifice and that we can't have a cake and eat it. You know, that's not the world we live in. And I don't think we will ever arrive at that world. You know, um, utopia has been tried before and, you know, there's been disastrous consequences because of it. And, you know, I'm not here or there to, to blame like why if we're like in a decadent society or if we're like, you know, spoiled or whatnot, like it's more like, I think if you don't believe in God, you can't justify why the world has inequality or why there is like strife. And I'm not one to answer these huge questions. I'm really not like, I like read philosophy and like, I don't really consider myself the most intellectual person. Like art for me is more intuitive and like it's, it kind of arrives in that realm. But like, I think the most meaningful art to me that I've always had like incredible experiences with the stuff as I've spent tons of time with and sacrificed long periods of my time of, of time really spending with it, you know, and it's like, versus the kind of materialist culture we're more in now, which is more fast food oriented, you know, it's more like quick kind of immaterial experiences. Um, and, you know, that's a very Landian concept, you know, with the, the acceleration of things is I think you lose the kind of quantitative element to something. And I think the quantitative only comes with sacrifice or no qualitative, qualitative quality, not quantity. I think, I think something that, and I mean, this can also be kind of platonic in a way of, you know, we were one, then there was multiplicity. So there was unity and now it's in multiplicity and multiplicity keeps um, cloning itself. So we're further and further from some sort of nexus or zenith or source. And, um, uh, you know, I think there's kernels of truth and a lot of other things. I mean, you know, uh, you know, even like the, even Hinduism, and I'm not a perennialist by any standpoint, but like Hinduism has mentioned, you know, people lived a lot longer when they were, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it's like, even now it's like, we, because of like all the like microplastics and glyphosate that's in the atmosphere and stuff, like people have new autoimmune diseases, their teeth are more messed up, like hair falls out, 
increased aging. So it's like our, our mechanical artificial world of progress is actually like kind of having an adverse effect on us, you know, like this is something I arrived at too. But when I was like over time, like I had some health issues when I was living in that health apartment, in that, in that not health apartment, that haunted apartment where it was like, and I'd arrived at like, Oh, the more artificial things are, it's actually like the more adverse are the effects they have on us. So it's like, you know, glyphosate, which was, I think, uh, released into the soil in like 90, 1996, you know, there's a higher increase in autism and ADHD and mental illness amongst children. Yeah. So those things are also correlated with the, um, um, higher average age of, uh, having children as well. Exactly. And, um, consequence of our supposed liberation, right? Yeah. Our supposed liberation is actually kind of engendering a new system of control in a lot of ways. And I think that's just this inherent kind of, this is something we're inheriting from kind of the French revolution, Promethean idealism, you know, is like, I can do things on my own. I am a radical, like, uh, I can be a God, you know? And it's like, I can, I can, I can save myself through technology or something. And that's like, I, I'm, again, like, I'm not trying to, like, disagree with people. I mean, I am, but I'm not trying to also just be, like, preachy or something. I'm just saying, like, look at the world we live in. Is it actually more advanced? When you look at, like, indigenous tribes from, like, other countries several hundred years ago before we had industrialization reach them, and they had, like, perfect teeth, like, aged much better, like, and they were just eating local food and stuff, you know, versus, like, our kind of digitized globalized like artificial environment where we're not even eating food from a local source you know it's like i don't know this isn't a left or right thing on on mine it's just it's more of a traditionalist outlook i just think we there was unity and then i think we're kind of further and further pulling away from it i think again it sounds esoteric but it's yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. Like, even as a someone who would consider myself not like a believer in any explicit faith, I would say mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I can see the insight because it's very clear from history. Every time that we've tried to play God in, and that's literally or figuratively, however you want to see it, it always yeah. ends up yeah. in bloodshed. It always does. Always ends up in bloodshed. And I'm not. I'm not like a believer. I don't even need to believe to think this, right? Yeah. And yeah. every time that you have these utopian visions, I, I get I get tense because I'm like, you know, where are we going with this? What's what's the end game here? What's the escat- what's the eschatological like belief behind this? Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's, and again, like I try to engage people like not in a way of like preaching to them. It's more just like 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 from a, a perspective. It's like it, it, would we not see our hubris? that we have now, you know, like, like we're going to like make this perfect system. We're going to play God. We have control over our destiny and stuff. And it's like, look what's happening, you know, or like, look how that's failed in the past, you know? Mm. So did you want to get on to another uh, question? Kind of. Um... Or we, can, we can keep going with this either way. Either is fine with me. <laughs> um no i'm just kind of i'm kind of curious about, like how we got here right because mm. as far as i can gather you seem to subscribe to 
orthodox, right? Yeah, generally. I'm still in the process of uh, converting, but um, right. so to me, it's philosophically the most sound okay. uh, from cool. a lot of extensive research. Yeah. Because you mentioned, you mentioned you had some like religious family. Like what's, what's, the, what's the journey? Because I, this is the best way, well, one of the best ways to understand, I think, because I kind of frame my own in terms of, you know, what I believed in politics over time, or what I believed religiously over time, all those sorts of things. Right. So, I mean, if it's not too personal to share, I would be interested to know what yeah. the journey is, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, I grew up uh, in like a Protestant. And my mom's side, as I think I mentioned, is from Scandinavia, which is a very Protestant nation. And uh, so I grew up like, uh, I guess I'm technically like, like Episcopal, but I was like, I grew up in like a Presbyterian church and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's kind of, you get the, the corny, like U2 kind of worship song stuff, mm-hmm. you know, got like pastor guy in a flip flop with acoustic guitar and like a Hawaiian shirt. And uh, yeah. yeah. And like, you know, very, very, just like no sense of the sacred or, or like, I guess like what I would later learn is like sacred and stuff. And so like, you know, I was a teenager and I was like, F this, I'm out of here. Like, this is so dumb (laughs) and um which is like not hard i mean it's like it's i think protestantism just kind of vibrates on this very low frequency of like rationalism practicality and like yeah it's like a cult of rationalism and i think they almost like i feel like they don't even like believe in demons and stuff it's it got and this is where i really see the wokeism coming through because mm-hmm. protestantism and it's really and i have friends who really really good people but they're almost like too nice but in and i think it might be by virtue of their protestantism because they yeah there's a like, they almost advocate for a forgiveness for the demons or forgiveness for, for satan himself right and it's like maybe it's my rightism coming out but i'm like you know that's a bit too far <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's inherently, I mean, the funny thing that people don't talk about is like a lot of the like Protestant sex, which it gets associated with the American right, is actually a very theologically left wing system. And um, yeah, it's I think very it's very easy of, to read the Gospels in that way, I think. And completely. people really underestimate how easy it is to read them that way. Yeah, and I think they threw, and like what I would later learn with the papacy split, which happened with Roman, the Roman Catholics mm-hmm. and um, the Eastern Orthodox, is that there was a certain amount of abandoning these kind of more ritual, esoteric, not esoteric, because it's not esoteric, it's just more mystical elements of the belief system. And like kind of where... Uh, metaphysics properly sits and so like there's almost no metaphysical structure in protestantism that's the thing like it doesn't even talk about a metaphysical structure and so like that's why you see a lot of protestantism become kind of new age or like hyper like capitalist or like just like you get all these like weird offshoots of it that like make no sense at all and so you know a lot of that you know was luther's split with the Roman Catholics and you know Catholicism had really fallen to a very degraded level I'm not 
going to spare it any sort of criticism because it doesn't, the average person knows that. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways you had Rome and this is the positive end of Christianity on a very practical materialist standpoint is like a lot of great cultural achievement has happened under a Christian empire, you know, like that's usually when civilizations are flourishing this is, is when this is the, they're a Christian. Example, empire. This is the downstream metaphysical effect, like effect I was talking about, like, because exactly. like, even through a, like a brutally logical lens, I look mm-hmm. at, you know, the beliefs of, you know, an artist like Michelangelo. And I think, well, that's a bit silly to believe that, isn't it? But then, you know, when it comes to what he created and the re- his genuine reasons for doing it, I don't believe that it would be the way it was if he didn't have a, like, a, like a committed metaphysical belief. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Beethoven, I mean, Bach was the same way. Right. Uh, a lot of these, the vitality in some of these people is absolutely astounding like when I really like like I've been listening to Bach a lot the last like year or so and it's like just the vitality in that guy like he had like 17 children or something and like composed like so much music and 98 to 99 percent of it is all for the church you know like it's amazing you go through the well-tempered clavier and it's like you know, you've got every single key, right? Yeah. And every single composition is like perfect for that key. Oh, like, it's in, yeah. Like, oh my god! Like it's it's like I mean, we've we I've I brought up my uh my uh you know I brought up Kanye West and that sort of stuff, but like the level of artistry when it comes to that, which is like you know examining the frequencies of which we can hear, and then thinking, okay, what's the best sound I can make in each of these? Right. And he's like, and there's a certain metaphysical structure to it suddenly where it's like, how is this actually affecting someone on a spiritual plane or something? And those, and are, those are written the, for you those, know, Rome, those are written for worship. Exactly. And I think Rome and Europe under, or Europe early on understood this where Christianity benefited them a lot on a very material, cultural, economic realm. Like, you know, Cause like, I mean, you can look at Roman Catholicism and it's like their portrayal of God and angels is basically just the Greek, the Greek system, you know, like Zeus is God, like all that stuff. Like that's not like, like angels aren't cherubs, like little babies with wings. Like angels are described often as these very like terrifying looking things that probably look more like something that would be a neon Genesis Evangelion, you know, at times, like, it's not like this, like, like, and like, you know, there's no fault in that. I'm not, faulting Catholics what I'm saying is like it's it's more like the history of stuff at times is like you know Christianity subsumes a pagan religion and then it kind of takes on characteristics of it kind of works in this kind of corrosive way you know and a lot of those pagan religions are actually validated by orthodox like they're just worshiping lesser gods or demons you know like those like orthodox is a polytheistic religion um, but it's a top-down tier structure. Didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Yahweh is like the zenith, and like the hypostasis trinity operates in that one cannot go through the Father except through the Son, but no one can go through the Son without the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of this like trinity. It it, it defies logic 
in a lot of ways. And then there's, you know, the whole hierarchy of angels and demons and stuff. And like those, and so like pagan rituals are actually like correct in a lot of ways because they are worshiping something, you know, it's not materialism. Like they're not a materialist, like nothing exists. Like they're still addressing that there is a spiritual realm. And so I think you have this cult of rationalism happen kind of starting with Catholicism, which then culminated in Protestantism of kind of rational thinking of, Oh, and you just need to throw out this other stuff. This all this like gobbledygook, like, uh, like, you know, fasting twice a week, that doesn't help with building it, building an economy that we're trying to build or like, um, and this is why Orthodox is not a left wing or a right wing belief system inherently is it's, is it kind of also dismantles like consumerism and like kind of, has it has like ways of like treating certain things as in spiritual development and i i'm still learning a lot of this stuff so it's like like there's things to, there's ways to quell certain like afflictions of the soul so it's like if you have like intense sexual yearning or something uh and that's not always a bad thing but it's like fasting can actually help fasting from food can actually help lower that and like the Orthodox monks talked a lot about this. So it's like, it can have, and it can, it can help get, give you a lot more of the, it's about it, like arriving at gnosis. That's really what a lot of the Orthodox is about is like the ascetic struggle of like the Christian life up the hill helps you to arrive at gnosis, helps you to like gain control over your passions. So you're not possessed by things outside of yourself. And it's like, and it's not this like kind of, repression or like you know you can either control them or they control you and that's kind of like how people worship that's how people become like worship immaterial things or like worship other idols or they become compelled by the more negative aspects of their personality you know some like a critique i would have of a lot of like our liberal you know emancipatory world is like you know men not behaving well you know it's like a lot of the like crap we have in the world socially kind of came from like men not behaving well you know and like you know behaving on their worst impulses and it's like that's our responsibility as like men to like to take that on and like so can you can you give me an example of that like what's a good yeah so like you could look at like the cancellation like like the the me too movement a lot you know like that's had some really rippling effects right on our behavior of the worst of which reflects on a group of people right exactly and it's like you know that's like men behaving at like their worst you know instead of perhaps trying to quell those passions or those impulses or those kind of violent tendencies it's not this like you know, what we have now have the dark end of that is where it's, we have the progressive left wanting to like completely eradicate masculinity altogether. Cause that's not going to solve our problem. Like having this conspiracy theory that like male maleness is like some sort of like demonic entity that needs to be like eradicated through pharmaceuticals or like cultural engineering. I don't think that's the issue because I think the issue is more is sin and is more of how do we like, and, and you know, a lot of early Christian teaching taught how to like, 
quell that kind of impulse. Like humans, we're not like doing everything you want isn't always good, you yeah. know? <laughs> this is this is one thing that I kind of understand about the faith systems, the traditional faith systems, is mm-hmm. although I'm not someone who subscribes to them, I respect them for at least being mm-hmm. coherent, like and cohesive. But there is a cohesive like Christian life mm-hmm. to be lived. When it comes yeah. to this leftist or woke stuff, it doesn't really make any sense because you have on one hand, you know, the condemning of the, the righteous condemning of, you know, weird coercions in terms of, you know, what was going on with this Me Too stuff, but then also an admiration for things like sex work. Exactly. Are it's they not it, the same thing. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up to a cohesive model because you're encouraging the, the negative side while condemning it at the same time. And it's like, I mean, you can look at what pornography has done to psychologically to generations, but I would say online pornography has done to generate like a generation of men, you know, and it's like, they like, you know, I think it would have been Ted Bundy, I think three days before he was sentenced to death, he said, literally, and I, you know, I wouldn't trust that guy, because, you know, he's definitely a con man who murdered people. But like, you know, he was saying, like, the biggest thing that messed me up was pornography. And it's like, it doesn't take like, it's, it's like, and where are we can well before the modern hyper pornography i would say yeah but the hyper pornography is like even now it's like look at the world we're kind of creating now you know yeah. it's like we have like a two plus two equals three kind of situation where it's like glorifying sex work but at the same time like who are the main people who are buying sex work mm-hmm. straight dudes you know and like then like we you know have this kind of like cancellation culture that operates like a, a police system. And, but it's at the same time, it, this is kind of the runaway. It's almost like a runaway capital in a kind of a way where it's like, it's making tons of money and it's like kind of giving people this supposed empowered individualism, but it's also generating this like really toxic byproduct at the same time. The fruits that the fruits of it are really, you know, and I'm so reluctant to get on like a moral soapbox because like that's the thing that turned me away from Christianity. So I'm almost like nervous talking about this stuff because like I have plenty of friends who I think would probably give me a lot of negative feedback. Um, But it's, I mean, logically speaking, I mean, you really have to like tackle those things head on. Do you think, do you think good and evil exist? I don't think evil is a material thing. You know, I think created matter is good. You know, uh, I think evil comes from will. I don't think of Jung, Jung talks about like evil being this like thing you need to like deal with that's in you, that's natural and stuff. Like it's like shadow, a flu. Right? What? The shadow, right? Yeah, shadow stuff, which I, I some of the shadow stuff I, I agree with, but like he has this very Gnostic thinking of like and it's like you kind of look at carl jung like if you really like break his life down it's like he's kind of a shitty dude like i mean i'm i hate saying that like sound like a condemning person but it's like i mean the guy like married like his he married like the richest woman in like switzerland or austria so it provided him like an upper middle class 
lifestyle of I, I believe know. he had affairs with his clients and this sort of stuff. exactly and then he justified his like affairs with his clients by like this is me needing to like be in touch with my my shadow <laughs> you know like that's like the most like stupid excuse you can have like it's like oh wow you're like living you you don't make enough money to like live in this like castle you know house in the mountain itself, which is like a little bit like uh, Michael Jackson's Neverland, really, right? Yeah, and then it's like, but then you justify, like, all the affairs you have on your wife on your, like, your, like, esoteric philosophies that you're making, you know? It's kind of like, it's like, I don't know, it's just I like... Coming, I think we're coming back to that sort of downstream effect, right? Yeah. Because he's... Down- it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... That's, again, you know, faith is, I think to quote Stalker by Tarkovsky, it's, uh, you have to have, you have to want to believe, I think. I agree, yeah. And that's, that's a different head, that's a different part of the psyche. I think that's a different thing, you know. I think for me, I'd reached such a low point in my life that, um, that's where I went to. And I think, you know, if I hadn't, I think had that, I probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But, um, I, I think it's really similar. And again, you might disagree with me on this. I think it's very similar mm-hmm. to people because obviously the whole religion thing is a struggling with, with axioms, I think with like mm-hmm. basic yeah. things like axiomatic things you believe that guide your life, that guide the way you want to be guide like your ideal and i think it's very mm-hmm. similar to when someone's sort of missing things because of um the abuse of a substance right mm-hmm. because i feel like someone who is going to either quit a substance like or reduce a substance that's affecting their life in a negative way they have to want to do it mm-hmm. and it's, it's weird to think yeah about you it. have to want to do it they have they have to unless unless you're going to imprison them <laughs> i mean you can make you can make a million excuses and blame your star sign for why you behave a certain way and i just i think there's sometimes just you have oh, to that's just such an aries thing to say <laughs> i'm not an aries though <laughs> oh, was a, i don't know i just <laughs> randomly yeah oh yeah <laughs> i don't know no. i don't know when you were born man <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean it's just um you know, it's funny we've gotten into like a theological conversation because, you know, this was intended to be about art. But, um, you know, I mean, I guess the two are inextricable. But we agree that things are they're very similar things. Yeah, I think I, I completely agree and, and believe they are. I think you can't really separate the two. That's why I'm more inclined to talk about that than over, I don't know, nerdier stuff about like art or something like what, what guitar do you play or like how do you draw <laughs> or like I don't know um yeah I think the I just think the the true I mean the, the authentic orthodox Christian uh perspective really asks the difficult questions I think mm. and I think that's more what I'm interested in in my life right now is just is the facing that directly i think Mm -hmm. um yeah do you have another question 
yeah no it's been uh really interesting to kind of hear about your specifics on faith stuff mm-hmm. um kind of just wondering otherwise like what <laughs> what do you think your spiciest belief is my spiciest belief like your most controversial thing that you think for sure is true or false i guess um but if the christian narrative is true it's absolutely terrifying (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) like if that's real that's like that's probably the scariest thing i can conceive of yeah dude you get you get to go away and i have to i have to go to hellfire (laughs) i don't even know if i'll make it though. (laughs) right exactly yeah the um the narrow path right yeah i mean that's a pretty that can kind of that's a pretty sobering belief uh that kind of keeps me up at night sometimes um yeah no i i agree i agree i mean i don't know if like a spicy take would be like like if i could say something that would offend people like you know i don't know if the motives of my heart in saying that would be like even like aligned with my beliefs like if i want to say something that's like you know i could say something like women are inferior to men or like which i don't really believe it's like it's more like like i i like just saying something for the intent of like of trickery or like being based or something like i don't know if that really hits 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 the chord deep enough i think for me it's like if christ is real if that whole thing is real then it's really terrifying and it's yeah that's that that's kind of the biggest one i have i mean i have like some like aesthetic preferences but like i don't really think of that as yeah i don't know maybe heidegger's right only a god can save us yeah, that was a great response. I wasn't expecting actually. Um, does it sort of bring to mind a, a meme I wanted to mention earlier, which is like the difference between the biblical angels and the angels in uh, Renaissance art, which is like oh, yeah. angels is like you know rings and a thousand eyes and all this sort of stuff, and then you've got the Renaissance angels, which are like I'm a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's the that's the issue we run into in the West of like our perception of Christianity is it's like this like neutered, like kind of like wimpy pious religion. And it's like really like, man, like, especially like the old Testament, there's some crazy stuff in there, you know, like the seraphim are like described as these like fiery flying snakes. So I'm just like imagining like Quetzalcoatl or something. And like, uh yeah i don't know just the like um in the apocrypha apocryphic texts uh like that you know a certain hierarchy of angels like bred with humans and created like hybrids that are still alive <laughs> and stuff and that those hybrids like might be like what people think of like as cryptozoological encounters and stuff like it's just like there's so much bizarre stuff in there and it's like it's a really real it's like it's terrifying (laughs) it's like a bigger horror it's like the it's like more of a horror movie than like 
I don't know, like, like the human centipede or something. Yeah, I think that's kind of where my readings of the Gospels and some of the stuff I included in my uh, book kind of falls mm-hmm. short a little bit because it's definitely a reading of, you know, it, with Jesus being the lamb, right? And there's actually parts, right. of it, even in the Gospels, where, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is the lion, right? He's yeah. the, he, he kind of is the Kanye West, you know what I'm saying? Like go, goes into the temple and <laughs> tips the tables over. That's a very Kanye West thing to do, I think. It's both things at once. And I think our brain cannot, our brains cannot like rationally pick apart that, you know, it's like when uh, Isaiah is like describing his visions and stuff, it's like, he's trying to describe something that's beyond our conception. So it's like, it's like a three headed it's like an angel that's like has four heads of like a human, a ram, a lion, and like an eagle. But it's like at the same time, it's like moving and it's like shining like brass and stuff. It's like, it's just, it's, I think it's stuff that's beyond our conception. Then you have people be like, it's UFOs, man. It's like. But it's also, it's also kind of like, you like imagine yourself, right? Having a vision in the night or something and trying to explain it to someone in the morning, right? It's kind of like trying to explain a dream to someone, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like you can't you can't you can't tap into what that realm actually is because it's it's beyond like our the conception of this realm and it's like and on the alien note I mean it's like the Orthodox Christians just have the view that like alien encounters are just demonic encounters like if you really look at like there's a book called Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future by this um, monk named Seraphim Rose and he he's like pretty well known like on the West Coast because he was kind of involved in like the counterculture, like the, the punk scenes and stuff. Like he had like a, uh, he's affiliated with this like press called death to the world that like, um, basically they were like Orthodox Christians appealing to like metal musicians and punks because like a lot of the aesthetics of Orthodox are kind of dark like that. It's like their skulls and like kind of esoteric looking stuff. And, um, his book, where he talks about like, you know, alien encounters and he's like then starts comparing it with old like occult texts and like demonology and he's like these things are the same thing mm-hmm. and so um yeah that's just like a just like very rational answer that fits very soundly with me on on that um but yeah like yeah you know like with with the angels being depicted as like little children and stuff it's i think we really have the wrong conception of christianity i think in the west on a very large scale yeah yeah this is this strange thing that sort of came about as some research i did for a a a book that i might write but i've sort of Mm -hmm. on hold for now Mm -hmm. is that my theory is that especially looking at what is like actually written in the, in the scripture, Mm -hmm. a lot of our Western conceptions of, you know, what heaven or hell might look like, that sort of thing. They don't really come from the scriptures. They come from extra sources. Like they come from like, like I think that the depiction of hell that we have in our heads, like primarily comes from Dante. Yeah, totally. It's totally from the depiction we have of um, the God of Eden, which is like 
six lines or something in Genesis, but Milton decided to make it like an entire like epic poem. I think it mostly comes from there. I really do. Yeah, totally. It totally does. I mean, there's um there's another book by Sarah from Rose called The Soul After Death, where he talks a lot about near death experiences that people have and experiencing like the heavenly realm and stuff. And he and he uh, he compares it with like occult texts, like with the astral plane and such, and like the air and like with the aerial plane, the toll houses and stuff. And it's like there's kind of like these apparently like heaven is more these like three tier systems and then like beneath that is like this aerial plane and that's what most people experience in near-death experiences is apparently the aerial plane which is where like it's like a pleasant place but it's like full of fallen spirits and demons tempting you and like even satan is there Mm. like this there's this one um saint in the orthodox church who was apparently a master wizard and he met satan because he had like fasted for like 30 or 40 days and he described it like the realm that he was in was more like this like kind of lovely place but then that like and like that satan's face was like a flower and stuff but then like there was another vision like where he was then transported what hell actually is and it's like just this dark cavern and like people are just like in pain and there's demons there and stuff but it's very different i think there's this deceptive quality of like people think like Oh, I'm experiencing like this, like new age, like perfect, like, like no suffering after life thing. But then it's like, perhaps it's a deception, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's like kind of described how like the devil is like handsome and stuff, like, instead of like, just like a reptilian red guy. Right. Yeah. That's another one, right. Is the whole, you know, depiction of Satan as the red guy with horns. I don't know where that where that came from i don't know where that came from. yeah it might be like hades or something i mean again like you have like the polytheistic greek gods really influenced again like i said you know they they appear in dante they appear in milton he, like he like it, the interesting thing about dante and milton is they don't they don't disbelieve the pagan gods they just believe yeah. them to be like false entities or something like this right or demons or whatever yeah that's what the orthodox believe too Right. They just are false consciousness of of spirit. Uh, yeah, that's more of their their view. It's like, you know, you're still you can go and like, you know, burn burn a bush in, you know, rural Iceland to Odin. But and you might be communic- communing with something, but it's not uh it's perhaps not like the like uh the head honcho around, you know. Yeah, I think even as like a non a non religious person, I think the um, have you ever read uh, the Screwtape Letters? Oh yeah, I love that book. Okay, I'm so glad that didn't fall flat. I'm so happy. Um, yeah, I love that book. It's great. It's terrifying. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. I mean, for me, it was. It was kind of like coming off Milton and Dante and realizing that oh, there's actually something to this. It's not just you know fairy tales and bullshit. There's like some yeah. Like, moral insight and you know something profound to say about the way we should act and all this sort of stuff and the the the, the nature of the universe but then coming into screw tape letters uh, kind of kind of made me see my own impropriety in a dis- different way you know because often yeah. we're just like oh i i effed up or whatever right and mm-hmm. or you feel like you know oh i you know got on the wrong side of you know 
my logic that day or something but then it really really helps ethically speaking to think about these things as demons i think yeah it it, it adds a narrative in a lot yeah. of ways and it also makes it so that the things that are your improprieties or cause the improprieties they're not intrinsically a part of you it's like it plays like a psychological role as well right yeah because i think if you i think you have the issue sometimes of um and i'd say maybe this is this is where rationalism kind of falls flat is like if you have something like someone is like feels like maybe in like a crime and punishment or something where someone feels compelled to take the law into their own hands and murder someone or something you can you can and you can be like oh this is like some sort of like impulse in my head and it's like it's of me and i'm not a bad person so like people can people can do some really amazing mental gymnastics to justify some pretty like dumb behavior you know and um I think when you associate those things more as like these trickster extraneous entities that are, you know, not beholden to you and are not, don't really care about you. It's a lot easier to kind of see like, Oh, this is, this is the influence of this, you know? And I think it helps us actually act a lot more like ethically sound when like you can kind of see yourself as susceptible to them, but also separate from them, you know, because then if they're, if it's of you, people will sometimes, you know, everyone wants to love themselves. Like someone might justify that. It's like, this is a part of me, you know, and that's not, that's my, that's the issue I take with like astrology is like, there's a lot of like justification for like pretty compulsive behavior. That's destructive. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah you want to talk about some art stuff or <laughs> i guess um... it's up to you man <laughs> and i guess yeah it's like it's a it's, it's a lot <laughs> yeah it's been pretty heavy but a good heavy i think yeah i mean i think i guess to kind of bring it back to art i would just say you know like i think art is an extension of of that kind of spiritual realm and the the kind of revealing uh, responsibility of it. And that, um, and I guess that's my own personal opinion. I just, I don't really fall into, like, I think it's, I think it became difficult the older I got to justify being an artist without being a narcissist. Mm. And so I think it's like, if there's like a certain amount of co-authorship I think sometimes there's a little bit more of a um, a will to do something and to try to like be discerning instead of just, I don't know, being very vague. I think revealing like, or eliciting like a, a spiritual response and like pointing to something is the best thing someone can do. I think, you know, like Tarkovsky and Stalker really paints a great example where you have three men, you know, wandering the zone and it's probably like one of my favorite movies of all time. You have three men wandering the zone and it's like, you have the two skeptics who are beholden to their careers, the artist, I guess he's like a writer. And then you have the scientist 
who's I think a li- the scientist is kind of like the the materialist, and then you have the artist who worships his career above all things, and then you have the faith based man who believes that the zone is important, and like that you have to have faith that like when you reach the room within the zone that like you're going to encounter something incredible and I always find that there's the one man who brings a a bomb with him and it's like he's the scientist and the rationalist and he gets the artist to go along with him because they're like we can't keep having something like this in the world we can't have something that people associate as like a place where God actually exists or like something beyond us exists like we have to just get rid of this you know and, and, you know, nothing happens with this, but we, it's, it's the thinking that's making people sick. That's like having them do this. And so downstream effects. Exactly. And so I find that that's very interesting that like, you know, if people did encounter something that's beyond their conception, the, maybe the first thing they would try and do is actually to blow it up. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. Uh, so I've got a, I've got a suggestion. Sure. So I've really enjoyed our conversations. Sure. Um, I would like to. Get a little... um, I have not heard about Tchaikovsky before our conversations, so I think that would be a good idea for me to go away and maybe watch the Stalker, and then we can come back and have a conversation about it. I would love that. Yeah, I would say Stalker, um, Solaris, okay. not the one with George Clooney, the original one. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Um. Uh, Andre Rublev is really good too. Um, that's that's more of a commitment. It's more about Russian history than. Okay. Um, maybe I'll kind of, have a maybe I'll have a bit of a marathon and then maybe pick one that sticks out to me or something. We talk about. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, he's he's incredible. Uh, he's one of my favorite artists of all time. Hmm. Uh, so I would I would yeah. Let's pick back up after you've watched uh, Stalker or and Solaris or done a. A binge. They're long. I'm warning you. They're very long. Right. Okay. I've got I've got patience. I've got patience. Okay. Cool, man. Um you wanna you wanna leave it off there from there? I think so, yeah. Unless there's something you particularly press about. Um you know, I I I, I totally intended we were just we just shoot the shit about art and talk about aesthetics and we talked about theology and stuff and so um is that a bad thing or is it a good thing no it's not a bad thing it's just hard to it's hard to like it's hard to turn down the intensity of it after going to that you know for me like it's kind of i think that means that we had a genuine conversation if it's about yeah if it's about that sort of thing and you feel intense that means i don't know that means you actually you actually mean it (laughs) yeah so i guess yeah then we and then i think we accomplished something you know um instead of just talk about I don't know, surface level things. So, right. Yeah. I really, I really, uh, you're, you have a little bit more of the, um, uh, the vocabulary to describe these things than I do. Um, I got into like, you know, philosophy and theory mostly just as like a way to kind of, um, kind of cast light on ideas mm. that I was just having as an artist and stuff. Like I wasn't really, I, you know, I'd read like Kierkegaard a long time ago and like Nietzsche, but not like as in depth. And so it's, it's cool to hear like your responses a lot that are just like, like 
exactly what I'm trying. Like I, like I'd, I'd have to spend like 20 sentences, you know, getting around. I really like that. And I, it's, I really value that ability that you have. Absolute pleasure today, man. Yeah. It's been good. Um, I will hit you up about the Tchaikovsky stuff. I think that sounds interesting to, I don't, cause I don't know anything about like, I know like a little bit about Japanese cinema, you know, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it'd be good to dip my toes into some of the Russian stuff. He's incredible. And it's, you see kind of a lot of his, uh, I found it very funny that like, or interesting that he, he was very into Japanese cinema as well, which is what my introduction well, not my introduction, but like that was like where I, in terms of cinema, was really a big cinehead and, and or cinephile, and so it's like it's funny that I see you know Hiroshi Tashigahara, Kurosawa as some of Tarkovsky's favorites, and then there was this kind of overlap between that aesthetically, and um, yeah, I think Tarkovsky's cinema has a lot in common with a lot of the more existential Japanese cinema of the '60s and '70s for sure. Mm. That's good to hear. I'm a big uh, Kurosawa by myself. Yeah, he he and Kurosawa were pretty good friends. And uh, I believe Kurosawa watched Solaris with Tarkovsky once. And uh, I think afterwards, Tarkovsky leaned over and he goes, what'd you think? And he goes, it's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I'm a big fan of both of them. Nice. Cool. Well, have a good rest of your day. All right. You as well, man. Um, like, hit me up for the Tarkov. We'll we'll, we'll pick it back up. Sounds good, man. Right. Yeah. Really good.